You are listening to the Sungrove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. All right. Well, we, uh, we get a special treat uh, here today. We have uh, the author of Messy Grace, Mr. Caleb Coltonback. And um, for those of you guys that have been with Sungrove for a while, we've had Caleb come um, and, uh, and bring... Um, just the unique calling, the unique message, the unique word that uh, God has placed on his heart. Um, known Dave and uh, Mike for a long time, and um, uh, he's actually uh, a pretty highly sought-after author, pastor, father, husband. He was just most recently um, speaking up at the Thrive Conference up at Bayside, um, and we get him here today. He's actually got a book coming out um, called God of Tomorrow. It's his second book, and it's coming out on Tuesday. So uh, would love for you guys to take a look at that awesome new book about engaging society. It says here, How to Overcome the Fears of Today and Renew Your Hope for the Future uh, by Caleb Kaltenbach. So, and you know why I really love him? Because his wife, I knew his wife, we went to school together at Westmont College. So that's why I especially love him. But give a warm welcome for Mr. Caleb Kaltenbach. Yes, uh, he and my wife did go to Westmont, but I went to a real school called Biola University, so no, I'm just kidding. I did go to Biola. I love Westmont. Hey, how are we doing today? Good? We're going to do that over again because you guys slept in. You weren't here at 9 o'clock. Let's try again. How are we doing today? All right, good. Hey, uh, my name is Caleb, if we haven't met. I've been here before, and uh, I love Dave Plague and Mike Millette. You love your leadership here. you got a great staff team here, great leaders here. Um, you go way back with both of those guys. And, and honestly, if, if you are here today and you were bribed because you asked your mom what you know, your mom wanted, and she said, come to church with me, you're like, oh, okay, and they offered to buy you brunch afterwards, that's great. I hope that, that you keep on coming, because this is a church you can come to and be who you are, and you don't have to change, and it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to be uh, messy, it's okay to not have your life together, because we all do life together here, and we move forward, and we walk alongside of each other, so I hope you keep on coming back, and... Um, also, I want to say uh, to everybody here right now, and even those who are uh, listening or watching online, either right now or after the fact, um, happy Mother's Day. And I want to acknowledge the fact that for some of you, today's a very painful day because maybe it reminds you of past pains. Uh, maybe you lost your mother recently. Uh, maybe you've had a falling out. Uh, maybe, again, something in your past this reminds you of this day. Uh, maybe you're a single dad and you know, it's kind of an awkward day because you have to play the role of both mother and father in so many ways, and you don't feel like that much of a nurturer when you think about it. And I just, I just know that for many of us, today's a very celebratory day, but for others of us, uh, today can be a day that carries pain. So I just want to let you know, whoever you are, wherever you are on this day, we appreciate you. I just want you to know that. We love you at this church, and I hope that you keep on coming back. And uh, if you're listening online, watching, I hope that you will come and check out this church in person if you get the chance. Um, I, I'm going to tell you a little bit about, more about me, if that's okay. Um, I'm not going to make this sermon about me, but I'm going to start off telling you a bit about me, an opinion I have, and you may not agree with this opinion. And if you don't agree, that's fine. You can be wrong, uh, because I think I'm right, okay? <laughs> I do not believe in the doctrine of purgatory, but if I did, it would be a place called LAX, Los Angeles International Airport. That is my personal opinion. I think I'm 100% right. If there were a place where wandering souls were not able to escape until they did their time, it would be LAX. 
And when I and I travel a lot, like I'm in the next three months going to 20 different cities, and I usually have to fly out of LAX because they're just I don't know, you just have nonstop flights. A lot of them you can leave late at night, you can get there early in the morning, whatever you want. And at the same time, that carries a burden because it's like it's such a weird place, kind of like the DMV. And so I'm an American guy. I stay pretty loyal to American because I used to live in um, uh, Dallas, Texas. But there's this, there's this day when I was traveling to Nashville, and I had to fly United. And, and I fly different airlines, but on United, I don't have a lot of miles, so I'm like, you know, pushed way in the back. When I say I'm pushed way in the back, I mean I am pushed all the way in the back. We're on a little puddle jumper, you know, where they have, you know, two seats right here, and then the one seat right here, and the overhead compartment bin is like this, you know, big. And I'm all the way in the back, like by the bathrooms, right up against them with all the smells. And you can't lean your seat back, but everybody in front of you can lean your seat, their seat into you. And that's just a lot of fun, right? And so I'm walking back there. And I kid you not, there's this lady in the back. She's in the aisle seat, or in the window seat. I'm going to be in the aisle. And she's just rocking back and forth going, oh, no, oh, oh, no. And I'm just thinking, good night. I'm just looking around. I'm like, can I trade seats? Can I? And there's no other seat open. Like, I'm stuck. And so I went back there, and I sat down, and she's just rocking back and forth like this. And she wasn't praying, okay? She was flipping out. And so I'm trying to help her. I'm like, ma'am, are you okay? And she just goes, and I'm like, oh, good night. I'm like, oh, can I take another flight? I'm just thinking, this lady's going to lose her cool when we take off. And so we take off in the air, and she goes back to being a normal person. It's the weirdest thing. Usually people flip out like when you're taking off, right? But once we're in the air, she's fine. The flight was great until it was time to land. And the pilot said, we began our, began our landing sequence, you know, and we kind of turned this way. No joke, this lady stands straight up and says, ISIS is on the plane, they've got a bomb. Okay? Now, I need to kind of preface what I'm getting ready to say. I have never laid a hand on a woman before in my entire life until this moment, okay? And when I say that, I mean, if I even tried with my wife, she would, my wife is Latina, she would beat me up, okay? <laughs> and I didn't punch this woman or anything, but she stood up, she's trying to get over me so she can get to the emergency exit and open it up. And of course she can't do that with the pressure in the air and everything, but I stand up, grab her by the shoulders and force her down and I said, ma'am, we're going to be fine. Just stay right here. I'm not going to let you out. And the flight attendants are looking. They're like, oh, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> they're not doing anything. I'm handling her in the back. And she's like, we're going to crash. We're going to crash. I said, no, we're not. It's safer than driving. She's like, no, what if we crash? I said, crashing, it's a good way to go. You know, if you crash, we're at 30,000 feet, you'll lose pressure and pass out before we hit the ground. You won't know what ha happened. It's a peaceful way. And, and that didn't help her. <laughs> I'm trying to help things. Don't ask me to encourage you, I guess, right? And so I'm trying to ground her. I'm trying to get her to focus on other things. I'm asking her questions and everything. And, you know, we land and we get off. And she's like, oh, I got to go to my next flight now. And I'm like, oh, good luck to whoever that is you're sitting next to, right? And I've just, it's the only time when I've gotten off a flight, and I've been through bad turbulence, but I had to sit down and collect myself after the flight. And I didn't feel frustrated at the woman. You know how I felt with the woman? I felt sad for her. This poor lady was so overwhelmed in that moment. And it reminded me a lot of life. How many of you know life can be like that some of the times? 
How many of you know that life can just be overwhelming? You can just be going throughout the day and everything's going great and then all of a sudden life hits you. Life happens. You get a phone call from a friend saying they've got a terminal disease and they don't have much time left and all of a sudden life happens. You check your bank account, you think that you've accounted for everything and when it's going to come out and then all of a sudden you see like a negative sign and then like one zero zero or something like that, you're like, can we just take the decimal point and just move it this way? Like three or four numbers, that'd be great, but you, know, you can't. And then all of a sudden, life happens. In those moments, we can, we can be having a great relationship with our kids and they go off to college and then they come back and they say, I'm dropping out of school, I'm getting married. And you're like, oh no, you aren't. Because you have plans for your kids, you have dreams. And all of a sudden you realize you're not their parent in the same way that you've been before. It's a different kind of relationship, right? Maybe for some of you, you've been married and all of a sudden your spouse looks at you and says, I'm not in love with you anymore. Or they say it's over. And no matter how hard you try, you can't fix it. You've been applying for this job. You went to school for this job. You thought everything was going to turn out great. Maybe you even got a graduate degree for this job and you keep on interviewing for different jobs and you want a position in some kind of organization, whether it's teaching, whether it's being a manager, whether it's an accountant, whatever it is, but you just can't get a job. And all of a sudden life hits you and life becomes overwhelming. And you think to yourself, what in the world do I do now? Here's the deal. And this is what I believe. And again, you may not, and that's fine. But I believe that most of us, we're either going into a storm, in the midst of a storm, or we're leaving a storm. But I think that life is a roller coaster filled with ups and downs. And you could be doing great right now, but hold on. Because eventually there's going to be another drop. Because that's just the way this world is. It's not perfect. And you have to deal with other people. And other people are crazy, right? We're not crazy. Other people, them, they, those, they're crazy. And so what do you do when life gets to be so overwhelming? Because I know some of you in here, it's Mother's Day, and you're excited, and that's great, and I hope that you have your brunch, and you beat all the Methodists to the restaurant and everything like that, and I hope that works out. But at the same time, there are many of you, you've walked in here, and you're carrying heavy emotional baggage. Some of you have things you're struggling with right now, fears, um, addictions, issues, hang-ups, hurts that you haven't told anyone. Your spouse doesn't even know. Your kids don't even know. Your siblings don't know. But you know because it's always playing in your head and that mixtape, that, that, that negativity is always going in your head. You lay your head down at nighttime on the pillow and all of a sudden you are just confronted with you and God in that moment. And your mind drifts towards the negative. Everybody in here, we all have something going on. So what do we do when life gets to be overwhelming? That's what I want us to do. And we're going to be today in the book of Genesis. And we're going to have the words on the screen in just a moment. Um, if you don't have your Bible, so just hang on. Uh, and if you have your Bibles, your mobile devices, you can go ahead and turn to Genesis. But Genesis, if you don't know, is the very first book of the Bible. It's like all, it's like old, old, old Testament, like four, three olds in front of Testament. And so we're going to go back and look at this guy named Jacob. Now, Jacob had a really famous dad and grandfather. His grandpa was named Abraham. Abraham was very famous. Abraham was a leader. He's seen as the father of the, of the Jewish people in so many ways, the spiritual father of the Christian people. Abraham is somebody that, uh, that followed God, that had faith, and God told him to go somewhere, and God didn't tell him where he was going, but he went. 
Um, and he had a lot of money. He was very wealthy, had a lot of influence. And then he had a son named Isaac. Isaac, um, lots of faith, lots of money, lots of influence. And then Isaac got married to Rebecca, and they had twins. And the first baby that came out was red and hairy. And so they named him Esau, which literally means hairy. Okay? And then Jacob was the, was the second twin that came out, grabbing onto Esau's heel. And so they named him Jacob, which means heel grabber. I mean, back in those days, they put a lot of thought into names. It's more of a last minute thing. You know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what they look like. I'm glad I wasn't born back then. Parents would have named me Fester or something like that. <laughs> but but here, here's the deal. Jacob, in the original Hebrew, doesn't only mean heel grabber. It goes a bit further. And if your name is Jacob or Jake, I'm really apologize ahead of time. My name is Caleb, which in Hebrew, it means dog. Okay, mangy dog. So I get your pain. But here's what Jacob means. It means liar, deceiver, manipulator, bargainer, hustler. It means somebody who's always trying to work things out, somebody who's trying to leverage the situation in their own favor, somebody who's trying to deal, somebody who's trying to manipulate. That's what Jacob in, in the Hebrew actually means. So they gave him a lot to live up to back then, right? And, and of course, that means it means different today. That name doesn't mean that today, but back then, that's what it meant. And so Jacob was very much a manipulator, a deceiver, a heel grabber in so many ways. Like his older brother, he was the firstborn. He had the birthright, which if you had the birthright, that meant that you, when your parents died, you got two-thirds of the inheritance, and all the other siblings got a third to split among themselves, okay? And so Esau was like a man's man, okay? He was out, you know, hunting game, killing things, smelling sweaty, everything like that. Jacob was a mama's boy. Uh, he loved arts and crafts. He, he was a great chef. He was like Gordon Ramsay, except he was nice, and he made food. And this one day, Esau comes in from the field, and he's a little bit of a drama queen because he says, I'm so hungry, I'm going to die. Give me some of the lentil stew you're making. And, and Jacob's like, oh, really? What, what are you going to give me? I'll give you anything. Give me your birthright. Fine, I don't care. Just give me the food. It's like, okay, Esau, short-term gain, long-term consequence, Right? very much a guy that's impulsive and lives in the moment. So Jacob gives him the stew, and he's just eating it, and, and he gives him his birthright. And then later on, when Isaac's getting ready to die, Isaac actually went blind. And so he calls Esau, which was his favorite son, and says, go out and kill some game, make a steak, come in here, and let me give you God's blessing. Because if you got God's blessing, that basically meant that you, uh, you know, were the leader of the family, that God had his favor on you, and everything like that. And so uh, he goes out and does that. Jacob and his mom are listening, and she says, let me make a steak for you. We're going to put some fur on your, on your um, arm right here, which is kind of gross. I guess they use duct tape. But we're going to put this fur right here. You're going to go into your dad's uh, chambers here, tell him your name is Esau, and get the blessing, because your brother cannot have that blessing. He will wreck the family. And so Jacob went in, and his dad asked him this question what is your name? And he said, Esau. And they ate, and he prayed a blessing over him. And then Esau comes in, finds out what happens, and he says, I'm going to kill my brother. And so Jacob did what you and I would have done. He ran, right? He goes and lives with his uncle and marries his cousins, two cousins. We would not have done that, hopefully. 
But things were different back in the Old Testament. And I don't have time to go into it, but I'm just telling you, you do not want to crawl into family trees in the Old Testament. You just get lost in thorns and just, oh, just, you don't want to do that, okay? But then Jacob also marries their maidservants. Not something I would suggest. So he's got four wives, okay? Four mother-in-laws to celebrate Mother's Day with on that day, right? And they have a bunch of kids. He gets wealthy. He has soldiers and he has servants and he has property and everything. They leave and they go to another land. He sends some scouts on ahead. The scouts come back to him and they say, hey, your brother Esau knows you're here. He's coming towards you. He'll be here in about a day. And he has a lot of people with him. And so Jacob flips out. And so we're going to join Jacob right here. In Genesis chapter 32, verse 9, notice the first thing he does is pray. I wish that was the first thing I did when something bad happens. That's usually not. That's included somewhere in the day, but that's not my first reaction. Listen to this prayer right here. I think it's great. He says, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid that he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. I like that. That's a really good prayer. Again, I wish that that was my first inclination. And then after he prays, he gives his scouts like some of his money and some of his property. And he says, I want you to go ahead of us and give that to his brother Esau, which is a good decision. He basically swindled him out of money, right? That's basically what he did. He stole money from him. So hopefully he's making good on that. This is what he says in verse 17. When my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to and where are you going? And who owns all these animals in front of you? Verse 18 uh, then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are gifts sent to my Lord Esau, and he is coming behind us. Again, these are good steps, but there's more to the story. You see, because the author of Genesis gives us a glimpse into, into Jacob's mind in that moment, and we find out that maybe he's not as straight-laced as what we thought. Look at Genesis 32 in the middle of verse 20. For he, Jacob, thought, I will pacify him with these gifts that I am sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. So Caleb, what's the big deal with that? Here's the big deal with that. He's not paying back the money because he owes his brother money. He's paying back the money so he can get out of trouble. He's manipulating. He's hustling. He's trying to deal. He's trying to bargain. Okay, and then over here, that makes this prayer that we just read kind of worthless in so many ways. You say, Caleb, no, that's not true because you're supposed to have next steps and he's doing wise things. Yeah, you should have next steps and prayer should be the main thing. But when you're just doing that to pacify someone, that makes this prayer just another checklist that he's done. He's just checked off another box. He's like, well, I prayed. I'm going to send money on ahead to buy him off. I'm going to do this, and everything will be great after that, and he'll, he'll be fine. You see, but you know as well as I do, there are some situations you can't hustle your way out of. You cannot bargain or manipulate or leverage your way out of some situations. Some situations come and live with you. 
You can't run from your consequences. Your consequences eventually come and they live with you, right? And so here's his next step right here, verse 22. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. Again, I understand trying to protect your family, but again, it, it's just him trying to manipulate, trying to deceive, trying to get out of the situation. Now, I just got to warn you, if you're not used to reading the Bible, or if it's been a while, what we're getting ready to read will seem awkward. It'll, it'll be like a little strange. And some of you think to yourself, Caleb, don't call what the Bible says strange. I didn't say it was creepy bad. I just said it was different. And you're like, no, it's not. Some of you know what's going to happen. The reason why it's not strange to you is because you've read this so many times. Imagine reading this for the first time, what we're getting ready to read. It reads like a Tim Burton movie. But that's the thing about faith. Anytime God steps into human history, reality just kind of takes a turn in directions that we don't always expect. And so I'm just going to read through it. I'm going to explain it afterwards, but take a look at this. Verse 24. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when, a man, and when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. And so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel. Again, some of you look at this right here. You're just like, man, I, I don't get that. I don't understand that. We'll join the club. But there's a lot in the original language, the original Hebrew that we see that reveals what's going on behind the scenes, the word meanings and so on, that you don't always see in the NIV, the NLT, the ESV or whatever. I love all those translations, but I mean, the English language is lazy compared to Hebrew and Greek back in those days. One word can mean a thousand different pictures. And so I kind of want to tell you that story again, kind of in my own way, based off the original language. You know, we, we can see Jacob after he's, you know, put everything across the river, and he's just walking back and forth on the riverbed. He's like, man, what, what else can I do? I've done this. I've prayed. I've, I've sent money ahead. I've done this. You know, I wish I still knew Kung Fu. I don't know what I'm going to do to be able to handle this. And, and it's late at night in the middle of the desert, and a, some dude comes out of the shadows, some other guy, late at night in the middle of the desert, that's creepy, and starts wrestling with him. And they wrestle all night. Jacob doesn't give up. Jacob's like Rocky Balboa. He gets knocked down, but he keeps on coming up and coming after you again and again and again. And eventually, whoever he's wrestling with just takes one finger, touches his hip socket, and it wrenches out of socket and he collapses to the ground. I mean, I don't know if that's ever happened to you, if you've knocked a bone out of socket, especially a leg. You can't stand afterwards. Now, all of a sudden, Jacob is in checkmate. He's got no more moves left. The only thing he can do is to grab onto the figure, and I think in that moment, he knew that the individual was God. 
And he knew that that late night, he had no other moves left. He was in immense pain, and the only thing he could do was to grab on to God. Have you ever been there before? You've got no other moves left other than just to go to God. And God says, hey, you know what? It's daybreak. Let me know. Let me go. You know, God is not a Cullen. He's not from twilight, okay? But the reason why he says that, it's not like something bad's going to happen to me if the sun comes out. No, he's saying, hey, day's almost started. Your brother Esau's coming. You've got a date with destiny, right? You need to let me go because you've got to go on with your day. And he knows that if he lets go, he's just going to be laying on that riverbed with no moves left. And his only move is to hang on to God. And he says, no. Not until you bless me. And so God asks him a question that probably really pierced his heart. Same question that his father asked him when he thought he was Esau. God looks at him and God says, what's your name? You see, back in those days, if you knew somebody's name, people believed that you had power over them. To know somebody's name meant that you were able to have power over them, that you could control them. And so this is another way in which God is looking at him and saying, do you yield? Are you done? Do you want some more? Are you going to surrender? Are you going to give up now? Are you going to quit fighting me all of your life? What's your name? Give me the power that you think you have, but you don't. And he says, my name is Jacob. But it's not just, my name is Jacob. It's a confession. It's him owning it. He's like, my name is Jacob. I'm a liar. I'm a deceiver. I'm a swindler. I'm a cheat. I try to punk people. I try to bargain. I try to deal. I try to get my way out of situations. I leverage things to try to steer them my way. My name is Jacob. I can just see God in that moment. His serious face all of a sudden kind of turns to a smile. Can't you see that with compassion? Because he says, no more, my son. Your name is no longer Jacob. Your name is Israel, which literally in Hebrew, Israel means God fights. It's amazing what happens when you and I own our junk. It's amazing the freedom that we find when we own what's going on in our life and when we acknowledge God's authority over ours. He says, your name is now Israel. And by the way, Jacob's not the only person in the Bible who got a new name. The apostle Paul wasn't always called Paul, right? But when he acknowledged God's authority in his life, he went from Saul to Paul. And by the way, the book of Revelation says that if you're a Christian, when you get up to heaven, you will be given a white stone with a new name. Some of you are like, good, I can't wait to get rid of this one. It's been following me around the rest of my, all my life. You see, and from that moment, he was new. Didn't mean that he didn't struggle. But God said, I'm with you. And I think God healed his hip just enough for him to stand up, because if your hip is out of socket, you can't stand. But he heals it, but not all the way. Because for the rest of his life, he walked with a limp. Because sometimes I think God allows the pain and the scars and the wound to remain. So it's a reminder of who we submit to and who's in charge and who bailed us out, 
and who gives us our faith? And I think every time that Jacob, for the rest of his life, when he would walk in the desert sand and his foot would drag in the sand, he would almost hear the, the rocks in the sand making the noise, surrender, surrender. I love what Rick Warren says. Rick Warren says, if you're gonna walk with God, you have to learn how to walk with a limp because God will allow you to get hurt. God will never leave you. Uh, a famous preacher back in the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon over in the UK once said, before God greatly uses a person, God greatly wounds that person. Some of you are like, God must really have big plans for me. But here's, here's what I want you to know. When, when life gets overwhelming, what do you do? You surrender. Because true freedom is found in total surrender. If you don't hear anything else I say, for the rest of our time together, I want you to know that true freedom is found in total surrender. You, the older I get, the more I try to trick myself into thinking that I am in control, but the older I get, and some of you can, you know, will agree with this, the older I get, the more I realize how little control I have. The older I get, the, the, I realize how little power I do have. The older I get, the more I realize how important it is to surrender your life to God and fully depend on Him. Because you, you may have intelligence, you might be a great person. You, you guys are very pretty today. You're a pretty church, okay? That's a compliment, by the way. Um, but you're not that good. You're not that powerful. You've got issues. Look at the person next to you. Look at them. They've got issues, Right? Don't agree, just look up here, hear me not right now. That probably wasn't a good idea. But if you want to be free, surrender to God. Quit fighting against him. But how do we do that? How do we surrender? I think we need to take our cues from what the passage just said that we went through, okay? Number one is this, quit bargaining and wrestling with God. Some of y'all have become very good at bargaining and wrestling with God. You're like, no, I haven't, Caleb. And I say, liar, liar, pants on fire. If you're alive and you're breathing and you're a Christian, I guarantee you that you have tried to bargain and wrestle with God. You say, no, I haven't killed. Really? Have you ever prayed this prayer? Okay. God, if you will fill in the blank, then I will fill in the blank. Come on. Just be honest. Tell the truth. Shame the devil. We've all been there, right? What, what about this? Have you ever prayed, God, if you just let her go out on a date with me, I will be in church every single weekend for the rest of the year. And I can do that because my church has live online streaming, God. Right? I mean, do you think God's up in heaven saying, whoa, if you're going to say that, then let me pull out the clipboard and move some things around. <laughs> Here's what I've learned. God doesn't deal. He doesn't bargain. He doesn't trade. He doesn't try to say, okay, what do you want to, okay, great, let's do that. No, 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 here's what I've learned. God has his way or it's no way. God has boundaries up around us because he cares about us. And there are times when God will say, you want to go outside the boundaries? Go ahead, let's see what happens. And I'll be here for you when you want to come back, right? I mean, there's an example of that in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15 father let the son go, but the father never stopped loving the son. Sometimes God allows us to sit in the bed of our consequences because he knows that it will turn back to us. 
And some of the times God allows us to sit in the bed of other people's consequences because we need to learn a lot there. Okay, quit bargaining and wrestling with God. Number two is this, learn how to walk wounded. You gotta learn how to walk wounded. Some of you have physical problems and you take, you, you do therapy for that physical therapy and you can get better, but for some of you, you're always gonna have those physical problems. Some of you have diseases or health issues and you can take medicine, you can get better, but some of you will always have that with you. Okay? I think the same is true with emotional wounds. Some people are like, no, God can heal anything. Well, yeah, God can, but some of the times, God allows the pain to remain. If you don't believe me, talk to somebody who's lost a child. That pain never goes away. It gets better, but do you really want that pain to go away? Because that would mean that you don't love your child. Whenever you have great love, you're going to have great pain. You need to learn how to walk wounded. There's this great book called Leadership Pain by this guy named Sam Chand, C-H-A-N-D. Leadership Pain is a great book. If you're a leader, if you're a human being and you're breathing, you should read this book. And basically, he says that growth equals pain because growth equals change. Change equals loss. Loss equals pain. Therefore, growth equals pain. And if you want to grow as a Christian, you're going to experience great pain. If you want to grow as a leader, whether it's in the business world, whether you're a civil leader, whatever it is, a parent, be a leader as a parent, the only way you do that is by experiencing pain. And you will only grow to the capacity of pain that you can handle. And so how do you end up growing your capacity for pain? You don't run away. You face pain head on. And by the way, when you do that, you get to walk with God in a brand new way and he's there with you. You say, Caleb, I don't believe that. I think God wants the best for me. I do too. I think God wants the best for you. That's why he gave you Jesus. That's why he died on the cross for your sins, so that you can be in a relationship with him forever. That doesn't mean that this world is going to be the best. I'm not looking for my best in this world. I'm looking for my best in the next world. I don't know if I believe that. Really? God allowed his own son to die on the cross. How are you getting out of here alive? But God resurrected him. And I think God will do the same thing with any of us who end up following him. One day we will be resurrected in the same way and we will have the newness of life, which real quick as we close, let me finish this out. Here's the third thing that you do. Ask God for a new name. There are some of you in here, you are not following God. Like I said, you came here um, for the brunch and to make your mom happy. And that's great. I, I would do the same thing. But I can tell you this, that nobody is better at life change than God himself, okay? And when you follow him, he gives you a new name. He does not define you by your messiness. He doesn't call you liar. He doesn't call you thief. He doesn't call you murderer. He doesn't call you, you know, uh, bankrupt. He doesn't call you rager. He doesn't call you any of that. You know what he calls you? Son, daughter, child, student, disciple, heir. That's what he calls you. And there's some of you in here right now, you're following Jesus, and you need to remember, you have a brand new name. And you're allowing the guilt and the consequences and other people's consequences, and you're allowing life to beat you down when God has your back. You have a new name. Quit acting defeated. God's got your back. He's with you. How do I know? Because true Freedom is found in total surrender.
If you want to be free, surrender. If you want to get past the storm, here's what you do. Surrender. Say, God, what would be the wise thing for me to do in this situation? What does love require of me in this situation? I think it's time for all of us to surrender. And I think we will find our best and our joy in the fullness and the embrace of our surrender to God. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for today. I pray that you would help us to think through these things. I pray that we would be a church that is just a church filled with a bunch of surrendered people. And when we leave this place, we'd be surrendered. We know that whatever we're dealing with or the relationship or the circumstance may not work out the way that we want it to, but you have an ultimate plan, and one day, ultimately, it will work out in your timing, in your way, either in this world or the next. But there's something, there's peace that comes from surrendering you to you, God. So I just pray that we would stop fighting you and that we would bow the knee before you, that we would be like Jacob. He was at his strongest point when he was grasping onto your knees saying, I will not let you go. And there are some of us in this room, all of us, but especially some of us in this room where we need to grab onto you and just say, I will not let you go. I am relying fully on you. Help us, Lord, to be surrendered. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.